Gospel according to John, the 21st chapter. So the main body of the Gospel according to John ends with chapter 20. Chapter 21 is a type of epilogue. Like all great writings, this one wraps up with the storylines of Peter and the unnamed disciple whom Jesus loved. And then, having done all that, the last line of the last of the Gospels draws the story to a close with equal measures of simplicity and wonder. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. The second time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt to go wherever you wished, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. Jesus said this to indicate what kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. After this, Jesus said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. He was the one who had reclined next to Jesus at the supper and had been the one who had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus said to Peter, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So the rumor spread in the community that this disciple would not die, yet Jesus did not say to Peter that the other one would not die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? And this is the disciple who is testifying to these things and has written them, and we know that his testimony is true. But there are also many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. That's the gospel of the Lord. So I don't know if you've all noticed, but like this is a, this is a really big weekend. I mean, yesterday was May 4th, and you all know what yesterday was. May the 4th be with you. Ah. Uh, what? No, okay. A truly important thing, Nora's birthday. Uh, but like the Brewers yesterday ran this whole May the 4th be with you promotion. It's become kind of a Star Wars thing. They even gave away some character bobblehead doll. Anyone know the name of the doll they gave away? This will prove you're really into it. Oh, you are, you are so good. Awesome. So yesterday was May the 4th be with you. Today is what? Cinco de Mayo, which... I think in Mexico is actually a somewhat obscure well, a remembrance of a 19, or 1862 victory in the Franco-Mexican War, but here in the United States, boy, thanks to the power of Corona beer marketing and various other great things that get us to party, it has become quite the celebration. So, plus, like, the sun is out, and when has that last happened for an extended period of time? So, it's a really big weekend. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for just going with it a little bit. So, 
there would be an example of someone attempting to meet people where they're at. Maybe one of you is interested in May 4th, not because it's Nora's birthday, and it's Cinco de Mile, maybe somebody relates to that, and maybe we all relate to that, there's some pretty nice weather outside. Uh, salespeople try and meet people where they're at all the time. I, I think a good um, a professional, whatever the field might be, tries to meet people where they're at. Teachers try and meet their students where they're at. A preacher tries to meet the audience where they're at. The little problem with it, however, especially when talking to a group of people, what, or maybe 30, 35 of us here uh, right now, is maybe I hit one of you or two of you with one example, and maybe four or five of you with another example. Uh, and, and maybe the rest of you with neither of them, and then I'm just hoping you all come along for the ride. As compared to Jesus, who, who just excels at meeting everybody right where they're at. And, and just think, uh, I mean, this is such an incomplete list, but all the powerful stories in the gospel of people who had no reason to think that he would ever be interested in what was going on in their lives. And I'm, I'm especially drawn to like that story of the centurion who wants his servant healed and, and says to Jesus, I'm a man set over authority. I, I know what it's like to give orders. Just give the order. And, and Jesus meets him where he's at and, and heals his servant. I think of the father who comes to Jesus begging for, for the health of, of one of his children. And, and Jesus, not to test him, but, but I think just... Uh, wondering, says, do, do you believe? And the man says, I believe, help my unbelief. And, and Jesus heals his son. He meets him where he's at in the midst of all of his, his doubt and fear and anxiety. And, and maybe most of all in John chapter 4, the, the woman who, the Samaritan woman who comes to the well, in all of the the mess that her own life seemed to have been in, and she comes in the middle of the day so she won't have to, she won't have to meet anybody there, and he happens to be there, and he will engage her in the longest and, and most powerful of dialogues, but to begin with, he just meets her where she's at. And, and this is his great gift. He treats no one as a type of person. He treats each of us as an individual child of God. He meets us where we're at. No place is that more true than in the gospel lesson I just read. I mean, it's an extraordinary passage. Let me unpack it with you a little bit this morning because it has a lot of meaning for us. Um, uh, it, it's like Peter is the, is the elephant in the room in the Easter story in John's gospel. In other words, Peter is the rock on whom you know, the disciples had built. He's the one who always had stepped forward, right? And, and so when you think about it, Peter walked on water. Also sank like a stone, but at least he gave it a shot. Peter is the one who confesses Jesus as the Christ, but then doesn't want him to suffer. Peter is the one who doesn't want his feet washed, but then wants his whole body washed. I mean, Peter is an all-in sort of guy, which causes him to make a ton of mistakes, but it's not because he's not trying. And what does they say about leadership? I mean, one of the surest signs of leadership is somebody who's failed somewhere along the way. Well, Peter does a lot of failing. But his most extraordinary fail, of course, is on the last night of Jesus' life, where, where he swears that he will... Uh, that he will be imprisoned or killed with Jesus uh, rather than deny him. And, of course, what does he do? He denies him not just once but three times. 
Now in John's gospel, that takes on additional significance because in the other three gospels, he's just asked, like, were you one of them? You sound like a Galilean. Uh, you know anything about this Jesus? But in John's gospel, it's real specifically asked of him, you were one of his disciples, weren't you? So think about that. He's the rock. He's the lead disciple. This is the essence of his identity at this point. So when he denies Jesus, he's not just denying Jesus. He's denying himself, his, his very essence of identity. I'm not a disciple of that man. I, I can't think of a more brutal, all-encompassing failure. And he goes out and he weeps bitterly. And of course the other disciples would have known about it. And, and in, the, in the light of Easter, when you think of the stories that John tells us, they, they start so simply with, with Mary mistaking the risen Jesus for the gardener. And then he just speaks her name, Mary. She knows who he is. Then he shows up in their locked room where they're all afraid. Peace be with you. Then he comes back the next week for doubting Thomas so that he can actually see for himself. And then in chapter 21, uh, helps them have an amazing catch of fish one more time. Life goes on. And then we get to this episode in today's gospel lesson. But the thing in John's gospel is Jesus is talking to all the disciples. He's meeting Thomas where he's at. He's meeting everybody where they're at, starting with Mary. But the one person who isn't mentioned is who? I mean, Peter well, <laughs> and Judas. Uh, which, when you think about it, is another crushing blow to this group of early followers. How did they process that? But in the midst of processing that, they know that Peter is right there, and he's had this spectacular fail. And, and now, as the gospel comes to the end, now the elephant in the room is finally exposed. It's, it's really powerful just in English. How many times does Jesus ask Peter, do you love me? Uh, that would be three, right? How many times had Peter denied him? Three times. So just in English, you, you get the sense of kind of the, of, of the ache of that scene. Do you love me, Peter? But the, the ache is kind of magnified in, in the biblical Greek because there are multiple words for love in, in the New Testament, and, and the one that is, in a sense, most divine is a word agape, which I think a lot of you have heard, a, a sense of totally other-focused, self-giving love, a divine sort of love, a cross sort of love. And, and that's the word Jesus uses the first two times. He says to Peter, do you agape me? Do you have a deep and profound love? And I think in his shame, Peter, at some level, does not perhaps feel he's worthy or capable of that. And so he responds and says a different word. He uses phylos, think Philadelphia, family, brotherly love, is what you know, that word comes from. And, and so that's what he says to Jesus, I phylos you, I, I love you like a brother, you know that. And Jesus meets him where he's at because the third time Jesus changes the word and, and says, do, do you love me like a brother? And, and 
and Peter says, he's grieved now. He's grieved that he's had it answered three times. And, he, and he's grieved that his love isn't perfect and complete the way Jesus's is. And, and he says, you know I do. You know I do. But I, I think the power of the scene, most of all, is not that Jesus runs Peter through this little gauntlet to make him feel more ashamed. He does it to redeem him to pull him back, because every time he says, I love you, what does Jesus say to him? Feed my sheep or feed my lambs. In other words, go back to being who I trained you to be all along. Go back to being the disciple you denied yourself being. Go back to being the rock you've been all along. Be yourself, Peter. I've more than met you where you're at, and, and you will be better, and you will do you, you'll be the martyr that you promised you would be. But you, you won't ever be able to do that if you don't go back to acknowledging just who you are. Feed my sheep. So the next time you find yourself in a situation where, where you, you feel um, so ashamed, so unforgivable, so beaten... <laughs> Uh, do not forget this scene in Scripture. Do not forget this Jesus who comes back to you not to put you down and ask you, do you love me, but comes back to you and, and says, do you love me, so that you can be put back in touch with your identity, with your essence, who you long to be all along. Now, just because Jesus restores Peter to the, to the group doesn't mean that Peter is immediately perfect. In fact, uh, in a way, it's kind of cool that Peter goes back to being himself pretty quickly because Jesus then ends by saying, follow me. In other words, he reinvites officially Peter to discipleship, which he immediately begins to do, at which point he immediately follows uh, the, the disciple in John's Gospel who's never named but is always referred to as the one Jesus loves or the beloved disciple. Uh, and in John's Gospel, uh, he too, maybe more so, is a symbol for all of us. Uh, in other words, the one who's close to Jesus' heart. And the symbolism is we're all close to Jesus' heart. So Peter, the rock and the impetuous one, notices that the beloved disciple also starts following Jesus again and says, well, what about him? You know, he already told me what kind of the outcome of my discipleship is going to be. What's his outcome going to be? To which Jesus says, well, you know, maybe he'll stick around until I return. Maybe we won't. But what's, how does Jesus end that little section? It's a little bit of a tweak. What's that to you? And then, in fact, Jesus kind of repeats the whole thing and says it again. Peter, what's that to you? In other words, now Jesus is back to treating people, Peter, you know, as, as kind of an equal, and uh, Peter's kind of challenged what's going on, and Jesus kind of fires back at him. Don't try and control everybody else's discipleship. Just, just worry about your own discipleship. Can you think of any words more suited to the history of Christianity than those? <laughs> In other words, ever since every Christian community, every Christian relationship, like any relationship, I guess, has been marked by the fact that we as human beings keep score, keep track, want everything to be fair, get resentful when somebody else seems to be getting more attention than we are, to which Jesus time and again says to you as well as to me, well, what is that to you? 
What church in, in the last 200 years has not had at some point had uh, some division like the older people saying, well, you guys pay all attention to the, to the young kids, and then the young kids say, all we do is sing old people's songs. It's not fair. Think of a hundred different things that churches can disagree about, and then I'll say multiply that by 10. And, and think of Unity Lutheran Church. We've got the perfect setup here because we can be arguing about paying more attention to cross life for Christ the King in perpetuity. Woohoo! Uh, that's like, I'm try, you know, come on. And, and actually, one of the great gifts is how quickly this congregation has become Unity Lutheran Church. Uh, I, at some level, thought we would hear 10 times as much about. Uh, that sort of thing as we have. Uh, it is to uh, your great credit that, that people have decided to be Unity Lutheran Church. But what I'm getting at is, is this is a gift you can be, I can be, we can be, just every single day. In, in John's Gospel, in chapter 15, in this prayer on the last night of his life, Jesus says to the disciples, I don't call you servants anymore, I call you friends. Um, evens the playing field. And, and when you think about somebody who's really a friend, uh, it's always somebody ultimately that you trust. It's somebody you, you treat with respect, somebody you can have fun with. But I think most of all, it, it's somebody where you're still listening to them even when they're not speaking. And, and if they talk a lot, you, you never get tired of, of hearing them. In, in other words, with a, a friend, you, you don't keep score. And, and you don't have any need to keep score. You're, you're just all in. Perhaps another way of saying it is, you're able to always meet that person where they're at. How many people are you going to meet this week? Think of all the people you'll meet this week. Some difficult, some blah, some energized, some whatever. And it's hard to meet all of them where they're at. But having the wisdom enough to start where somebody's at and then to pull them back to perhaps their better, best self, what better mission is there in life than that? It's Jesus' gift to you and me. For one person or a dozen this week, may it be your gift to somebody else. Done.